This is the God and Government Podcast. I am your host, John Stack. Welcome to the Free Speech Zone. This just in. This this just in. This just in. The God and Government Podcast has been hijacked. Just just in. The God and Government Podcast has been hijacked. Well, that's obvious. You know, you're supposed to let me do my shtick, man, before... Let me do my shtick. <laughs> Never! Okay. Uh, well, um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for your patience in waiting for us to return. And despite the uh, interruption over there, uh, I wanted to thank you guys for waiting. It's been a little bit of time since we've recorded and put anything out for your listening pleasure and uh, I must say that I had to take care of some personal stuff, which was relocating out of the blue state of California into the red state of Texas. So that is where I am speaking to all of you wonderful fans of the God and Government podcast from from the great state of Texas. And now, uh, as always, on the line with me is my wingman, Mark Richardson, from whom you are I am. I am not your wingman for this episode. I, as Megatron once said in Transformers, G1, the good stuff, Mm -hmm. this podcast is under martial law, and I (laughs) am the marshal. (laughs) Well, thanks, Mark. You know, this is is like a monumental um, change for me uh, because I I am a free man. It's the the funniest thing uh, to, to get out of california and get into a place where you know people are relatively normal and you know probably the most stunning thing that i've discovered is that i got here and i we went shopping at walmart and and all along the ceiling of walmart are american flags and texas flags now can you imagine anywhere in the state of california where the american flag would be flown proudly and openly inside of any kind of department store uh the only circumstance that i could see if it was was uh, flown upside down which signifies uh distress <laughs> right exactly um so <laughs> so yeah that that uh, i agree uh it's really it's really a different it's really a different world and the uh the cost of living is cheaper you know gasoline is probably about two dollars a gallon less here um and uh, the apartment rents are cheaper and and all of that stuff so it's 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 quite an ad- adventure and i know you you've been enjoying this kind of change of pace for a couple of years uh so before we get into it maybe you can give us an update from the purple state of north carolina oh sure can yeah as a matter of fact folks um just this past august we celebrated uh we celebrated two years uh, two years of freedom from uh from the tyranny of california and and look, it's like I, we still we still both of us have a lot of friends uh, that are still in California, and some of them with their circumstances and it's like maybe family and health, and some of them actually still like to go there for the weather. You know, you do you, boo, you do you. Yeah. And um, you know, they 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 still they still just bask in the state of uh of insanity. And um, you know, it, it's I would love to be able to sit back here and say great things are changing in California and. Mm. And, and they're moving. It's like they've they've kind of stepped to the edge of the abyss, and they've looked over it and realized that 
they don't want to go. They want they don't want to dive in, and they're slowly backing away. But unfortunately, I can't. You know, it's like no, the, you uh, can't. The, you know, the legislature in Sacramento and uh, the governor and the mayor of Los Angeles and the mayor mm-hmm. of a lot of a lot of the uh, cities in California. It's like, except for San Diego, I think is one of the still a bastion of sanity. I think a little bit, yeah. And it's like, and but they but they're just doubling down. You know, they're 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 doubling yes. down on their behavior, and. Um, you know, I sometimes, you know, with an addict, you can you can try to help them. You can get them mm-hmm. to rehab. You can you can attempt to uh, have them move in a different direction. But sometimes people have to hit rock bottom before they uh, before they yes. realize um, you know what's going on. And I think with California, especially with their with their uh, multi billion dollar pension hole, mm. and his, and then just a lot of their policies that are just continuing to. Uh, squeeze as much funds out of the uh out, out of the upper middle upper not upper class yeah uh, you know the, the rich and whatever they can still drain out of the middle class and it's and it's about to become ecuador it really yeah. is about to become if the if venezuela the very, more like it mark venezuela <laughs> venezuela that's venezuela that's it's like yes i think i failed my south american it's like quiz on that one <laughs> but it's like but it's <laughs> but it's really well, you know i down am the historian here so there you go. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> well, yes, true. So what it, what it, I tell you. <laughs> so what it's going to come down to is you have the very rich and the very poor. Mm-hmm. And and the thing the thing that the legislatures can't figure out is eventually even the very rich are going to figure out that there's a better place where they where they, where they can take advantage yes. of uh, the tax breaks and they're pack they're pack up their troubles in their old kid bag. And leave uh, the legislature in California holding, literally holding the bag. That is true. That is true. I'll but, tell you. You know, go ahead. I got one thing to about, tell you know, before we get to say, Go ahead. At the end, at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do about people who don't want. They don't want your help. They feel they feel that any that any efforts that you can pose to them, especially from the uh, Republican Party, are viewed as uh, racist mm-hmm. and whatever is and foe that you can toss out there. And you just have to sit back and go, well, I don't wish you any ill will, but at the same time, too, I no longer want to participate in your experiment. Yeah. And I have, uh, you know, and, and I have, you know, moved, moved aside, you know. And the great thing about it is, now people, some of the listeners may say, well, yeah, Mark, but just like, but you're not in, but you're not in a red state. You are correct. I'm in a purple state. You know, we have, mm-hmm. there is a, there's a Democratic governor and we have a Republican uh, Lieutenant Governor, who's great, and, he's awesome. Yeah, Mark, Mark, yeah, Mark Robinson, great guy. Anyway, yeah, and, and that's and that's the thing that folks, that's what you actually want. That is at the core of a democracy. You know, it's like we don't have to have all red and we don't have to all have all blue, but you want sides to listen to one another and yeah. debate. And yeah, and they and we're we're not always going to agree on one side or the other, but you want that process. You want to be able to have people hear your side of the point and mm-hmm. you want to be able to hear their side of the point and then you make your decision as a voter that's what you want yeah that's that's true even in texas the uh the balance is it's not quite as red as you'd think the the, the balance is you know maybe 55 45 so i mean it, it certainly leans uh right um but but still it, it's not it's not a huge you know massive majority it just leans leans to the right i, I will say one thing uh, that I, I also noticed 
that's very illustrative and I think is kind of demonstrating really how the country is drifting apart. In California, one of the issues that uh, people are facing there, particularly parents, is the whole transgender issue and how they deal with it in the schools. So there was a there's a school district in Southern California, I believe, that basically put up some um, a prescription for their district saying, look, if we have a kid who comes to us and you know is expressing transgender ideas, we're going to alert the parents. And the state of California is now attempting to sue them, block them from receiving state funds. So basically trying to shut parents out of this discussion, which I, I find abhorrent. As a parent, I think it's absolutely abhorrent that they would uh, basically allow for political indoctrination over a very, very sensitive issue of sexual identity among children, which is, and, you know, and, that's inviolable. And, and it comes down to, once again, it's just the, I, I don't know where, I'm sure if we, if we delve into history, we can see where the, where the Democratic Party and as well as well as the hard left wing of the Democratic Party has come in with this ideology that they know what's best for your kids. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. is that you right. don't. And, and, and you would think that rational, rational human beings would would listen to what basically you almost want to like record what they're saying play it back to them and ask them the question does this sound like rational a rational <laughs> thought process to you not does to this me. sound even relatively sane and they would sit there and nod their head yes and that and, and folks that is where we are right now unfortunately yeah. we are we are in the age of full-on tribalism where, yes, the, we where, are. It's, where, where common sense and and this goes both ways you know i'd say i'm not gonna it's like i'm not gonna sit back and give the and give the um, conservatives a pass either. It's like it's the same thing. It's it's no longer common sense. It's no longer, hey, that's crazy. We shouldn't be doing that. It's my tribe, regardless. It's like you know, it's like come hell or high water. It's my tribe, mm. not common sense, not rational thinking. My tribe. Well, and we that's where we are, folks. Yeah, I agree. There is a lot of tribalism. I was going to say that. Uh, th that experience in California, what's going on there, stands in very stark contrast to what I've found here briefly in Texas. Um, I mean, there, there's plenty of bureaucracy in the public school system here. I, I, I kind of ran into that. But something I found fascinating is when I took my kid to school, uh, right in the lobby of the school, there's a sign that said, In God We Trust, with uh, an American flag and a Texas flag on it. And I, you know, for whatever faults and bureaucracies they have in Texas, I can't imagine that such a sign would find any place whatsoever in any, you know, district in the state of California without there being a massive kerfuffle by the uh, left wing politicians that, that run the state. So, so, so I just want I just want to double check. So, so you said it's like there was there was a plaque or a sign yeah. in the in the in the school lobby that said "In God We Trust." In God We Trust. Believe it or not, uh, are, are, are 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 you sure it didn't say "In Pronouns We Trust" with a bright no, flag on top of it? No, no, it didn't. It didn't say that at all. It actually said "In God We Trust." And once I picked my job off the floor, I I was very grateful. Like okay. Uh, even in a public school setting <laughs> in Texas, you can actually say something of that, you know, which would have, you know, a few years ago would have been relatively innocuous and acceptable. Um, 
but it's still there's still a modicum of respect for tradition and, and Judeo-Christian values. And that's really what, um, you know, one of the things that dro- drove us here. So anyway, I, I want to get into our, our discussion. And uh, right. I'm calling this episode Back in the Saddle again, which is uh, named after an old Gene Autry song. And I say that because it's been a few months since you and I have uh, been on the line here talking, uh, be, you know, because I had to take time to, to get relocated. And also, you know, Gene Autry is the old Western cowboy. And here I am in the deep south and, uh, you know, in cowboy country. And, and some of the lyrics of Back in the Saddle are this. Uh, it says, I'm back in the saddle again, out where a friend is a friend, where the longhorn cattle feed on the lonely gypsum weed. Back in the saddle again, riding the range once more, toting my old 44, where you sleep out every night. And the only law is right back in the saddle again. And um, the, despite being in the 21st century, those sentiments <laughs> that Gene Autry sang, whoever you know, a long, long time ago, still sort of you can feel that vibe in Texas. So we're back in the South. But I'm to you because you had an idea for this episode, which is why you chimed in to commandeer the episode. So go right ahead, sir. Absolutely. Well, let's see. After 15 minutes of him flapping his gums, finally. <laughs> Finally, Megatron has control. <laughs> okay, Megatron. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, now we have an opportunity to take John Steinreich and ask him the questions that people fear to ask him. <laughs> oh so, yes. And so, so, the, so the idea that I originally had was you know, so we, we usually try to interview different. We try to interview different people from different walks of life, different skill sets. You know, to basically get their insight. Of course, with the guy, the government part of the program, just really see where they, where they, where they stand in certain and certain uh, parts of their lives. And we usually pose questions to them uh, based on topical uh, issues that are prevalent at the point in time. But then with with John moving. And getting re- getting resettled in the in the Lone Star State, mm-hmm. I just I just thought about it and said, you know, it's like how many people actually, how many of us actually know John Stein, right? How mm-hmm. many of us delve into the deep pool that is John? <laughs> how many of us Hopefully, not too many because that pool is rather shallow. <laughs> swim in the waters of his wisdom. <laughs> Bathe in the deep thought questions that propose to him. So I said, hey. What a great opportunity to really like sit down and just ask John some questions for once, and, well, and, have, and have him and have him pose some have him pose some answers. So that way, you, the listener, can get a little get a little deeper with John. So when it's like so when we roll our podcast out, you can say, "Hey, yeah, I know that guy." Okay, good. I'm, I, I so, hope that people like it. They can find out about me, and I'm I'm a shameless self promoter in many respects. So. <laughs> Actually, it's actually he is, <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and I thought about it and said, okay, I could I could sit down and give him the thoughtful, topical questions that would, it's like that would ask the listener, provoking questions that would draw draw them closer to you, but then I said, that would, <laughs> yeah, nah. exactly, that would that would require you to think through this beforehand instead of just winging it. <laughs> I am your wingman, ergo. Yes, ergo, wing it, <laughs> so, wing away. Exactly. This is this is thoroughly impromptu. I could have come up with some questions, but that would have been boring. So, 
I could, as I, and now in my head, I'm thinking to myself, I could give that total like Barbara Walters. John, if you were twee, what kind of twee would you be? <laughs> Mowage is sacred. <laughs> So let's so let's so let's so let's let's start off with the basics. So, yes, sir. Okay, it's like so you so you you are you are a degreed individual, correct? I I am yes I am I uh, I have a, uh, a bachelor's degree from Rutgers University in New Jersey, and I majored in Spanish with an emphasis in linguistics and a minor in history. And then uh, a few years ago, I went back to graduate school and I got a master's degree in church history from a school called Colorado Theological Seminary. So I, I, I studied a little bit in my life. Is that, well, 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 a learned man. He has a, he has a couple of sheepskins on his, on his mantle. Mm -hmm. So yeah. now, with, now the whole thing with the church history, what exactly, what, what drove you to pursue that, like that course of learning? Uh, well, it was uh, the, <laughs> this is funny. Um, it was the one program that didn't re require me to write a thesis paper. So that was very attractive. Um, yeah, that's kind of, that is, I told you, I told you just shallow was part of my makeup, but, uh, but yes, that was, that was part of it. Anyway, I, uh, I have been a Christian since 1994. Okay. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. My family's ethnically, uh, Eastern European Jewish. And we, you know, we were like a family of Woody Allen's, a bunch of neurotics, um, but no, no religion per se. Um, and so it was a pretty radical change for me to be, to be introduced to the gospel and then to come to follow Jesus ethnically, culturally, um, and lacking religion. I, I just didn't have any background, but I got, I became saved. God called me and I, I became very interested in the Bible. And I have always liked history, you know, medieval history, things like that. Ancient history. I, I studied uh, Roman history when I was in college. And the long story short is that I, I always wanted to find some sort of uh, graduate program where I could learn something of a biblical nature, something uh, religious in, in nature. And I so I basically stumbled across a, a program. It was a remote learning program that allowed me to study the church history. And within that context, to actually um, acquire more knowledge about different doctrinal patterns and Calvinism, Arminianism, um, things like that, even, even the modern uh, charismatic movements. So when I ended up in this program, you know, a lot of people, when people think of uh, seminary, they're, they're thinking of people who go into biblical studies or theology or maybe pastoral counseling things like that that are that are super duper bible heavy obviously nothing wrong with that but my program that i took had you know bible in it but it really was a a, a large-scale survey of church history uh you know from the first century all the way up to modern times and i found that really appealing because when I came to Christianity, it was sort of like, it was, it was pretty much, I went from zero to 100. I just like, I knew nothing. And then all of a sudden it, the Bible is all over me. It's all part of my life. And that's how I'm living my life. And the, the church 
uh, experience that I had, uh, which you're familiar with, was one it was very radical in the sense of really trying to be very biblically oriented and very evangelistic. And uh, you probably recall back in the 90s, and that's when I, you, you and I both became uh, Christians, or, or we, you know, we started to participate uh, in uh, the uh, ICOC movement, was that the, the church basically, uh, in, in I, some ways innocently, some ways maybe uh, not so innocently, portrayed itself as sort of a reinvention of the first century church. And what I came to feel over the years was like, well, uh, and I believe this somewhat naively, like, okay, well, there were sort of uh, early disciples, you know, back in the, the first century or so. And then fast forward 1900 years to the 20th, late 20th century, and then the new disciple movement came about and bingo, here we are picking up uh, the mantle from the early church. Um, so that was sort of my initial belief based on you know some of the, the the teaching that we we received in our ministry back in those days but uh the um what i what i what i started to question basically um are you still there mark Yep, still here. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah, phone rang. Modern technology. So I started to question the, um, you know, the the wisdom of some of the the teaching that we were getting in the church context, uh, and I said, well, you know what, um, maybe you know, maybe just possibly there, there's been 19 centuries worth of church history <laughs> between you know the New Testament and my day. Maybe there's something out there that I might be able to learn from history, given that history is a wonderful teacher and it gives us, you know, it, it, it doesn't repeat itself so much as it rhymes, uh, you know, so we can look back in history and get an idea from, from history as to, you know, what are the trends, what are the sociological trends and what, what might happen from one circumstance to the next. And so I put the, all those pieces together. And I thought, you know, studying church history will allow me to go back in time and see what the great thinkers of antiquity and the Middle Ages and the early modern period, what did they actually think? And maybe I could learn something from them and increase my faith. And in fact, that's what what happened. And um, I'm glad I did. Uh, what I discovered in, in that process is that, you know, I'm not infallible, <laughs> number one. Um, and number two, that I shouldn't be uh, so wildly dogmatic about my thoughts, because you can go into into church history. Let's say you're a Protestant, you can start studying Catholic doctrine, and you, at least for me, you can look at it and say, "Gosh, you know, I might not agree with it, but I can understand how they arrived at that." And vice versa, you know, or there are different strains of Protestantism. Uh, you know, I, maybe I don't agree with uh, this practice or that practice or you know, speaking in tongues or things that are controversial, but I can understand how people arrived at that. And it helped me to to sort of be be more open minded and more willing to adjust my viewpoint, be it a spiritual viewpoint, uh, a religious viewpoint, a political viewpoint because there's such a diversity of ideas out there and only God really, really knows. So 
that that's that's how I, I landed up in uh, in uh, seminary with a, a church history uh, degree. There you go. Ah, remember those heady days of yesteryear, 13 minutes ago when I asked a question? Yeah. And I know that at, at, at the pace that we're going, I could probably ask maybe one more before the before the recording's <laughs> gone. So so what we're going to do is like we're, we're, I'm going off-roading, folks. I'm, get, I'm, I'm doing a hard right off the interstate, and we're, and we're, go, we're going into the weeds here. Yeah. But like, so we're going to so we're gonna ask you a, a different question this time, John. Okay. Let me let me make sure. You, so you had enough time to go make a cup of coffee and get a sandwich while I was filibustering there, weren't you? I've spoken like a true politician. Folks. Yes, like, exactly. Like, Thirty seconds question, ten minute answer. <laughs> <laughs> so let's so so you're mm -hmm. a musician, John. It's like yes. so let's so now now I'm I'm stepping up here here into a ledge because I know I know where this mm -hmm. I know I'm going down the rabbit hole, but I'll ask it anyway. Go ahead. So. What got you into music? What keeps mm. you into music? And where do you what do you want to do with your music now that you're in Texas? Wow, that's a great question. I have been into music really my my whole life. My grandfather was a professional musician. My dad was a professional musician. And uh, uh, although I don't remember it, my parents always told me when I was a kid, like uh, whenever James Brown would be on television, I'd be dancing in front of the the TV. So. <laughs> I've always, I know that's kind of if you know if you know me if you look at me you probably wouldn't say yeah that's a big James Brown fan right there but I love James Brown <clears throat> but anyway yeah when I <laughs> when I was a teenager I really uh, I really found a great deal of solace in in music I was a big fan of you know so many of the popular artists that that uh, people like the Beatles and um, Billy Joel and uh, I was a big Jimi Hendrix fan Otis Redding. The really, really the classic, you know, modern American pop rock, R&B, soul kind of kind of thing. And I, I was sort of a uh, an intellectual and sort of somewhat of a loner. And music was really an escape in a lot of ways. And um, as I got older, I, I became self-taught uh, as a piano player and guitar. And I, I, you know, I had a bit of a knack for it. And I always enjoyed playing. And uh, I started to write songs and and all of that. And I, I discovered that as time went by that I really liked performing. I liked doing music. I liked being on stage. I liked writing. And, um, you know, 30 some odd years later, I'm still doing it. Uh, I'm still playing parties and weddings and corporate events and, and things like that. And what do I want to do with it? From this point, you know, being in a, a music city, <clears throat> I want to keep rocking and rolling. Um, I really want to, uh, one, of, one of the projects that I'm working on with my wife is a musical theater piece that we uh, composed. We, we, she wrote the book and I, uh, she and I wrote the score to this. And what we really hope to do is, is put this up, stage it and see what we can do. See if we can turn it into something big. It's our, you know, some of the best music that I've ever written. So I'm very happy uh, about that. That's really an, an important uh, thing that I want to do musically. Oh. Oh, that's like, hey, 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 look at that. That was a shorter answer, huh? I know. I, I actually stayed conscious on that one. That's nice. That's, that's... <laughs> so it's like, so, uh, so John, let's see now. So, so we've so talked a little about, about your musical interests. We've talked about, you know, like, like your, like your spiritual, your spiritual pathway that's led you, that's led you to here. Now, would, now, would you say that, um, 
you're the church uh, studying church history and finding like delving into some of the doctrinal issues. Was that was that part of was that part of the path that led you towards creating God and Government, the podcast? Yes, yes absolutely, absolutely. What what I noticed um, in so many respects was that the modern the modern church. Um, and I'm, put, I'm painting with a very broad brush, but the modern church in, in the West really has avoided um, touching upon any sort of political subject. We basically, what I, what I discovered was that, you know, the whole issue of personal piety is very big. And what I mean by that is like, you can find lots and lots of churches that will teach you about your, how to live a good life how to be economically sound, how to have a good marriage, how to have, you know, be a good parent, how to be a good neighbor, you know, deal with, uh, you know, churches will help people who have substance abuse or, you know, any number of things. There's a lot of teaching on personal piety. But on the other hand, when I, I noticed that, you know, even in a church where the Bible was taught, um, when it came down to election time, I noticed quite a lot of people voting in a way that simply didn't match up with the, the the doctrine that the bible teaches and i had one specific example i remember go there was an uh, an initiative on the ballot it was in california and it was a question of you know how shall the state define marriage and the the ballot initiative passed basically to say you know, marriage should be defined as between a man and a woman. Okay, so this is relatively standard, you know, understood throughout all cultures, Christian and not Christian, uh, from time immemorial. But I remember being in church and, and hearing um, uh, a, a brother in the church saying, yeah, you know what, I voted against that, and I'm paraphrasing, but I voted against that because, you know, people should just have their rights and so on and so forth. And I just thought, you know, okay, you're a Christian. You know what the doctrine is on homosexuality. Now, shouldn't should not your vote reflect essentially the basic moral moral principles? I don't want to deny anybody their rights. I don't want to, you know, deny somebody the right to live or you know do do what you want if you if you want to have that lifestyle. Okay, but. Should we as Christians be affirmatively um, or stating, yeah, it's okay, you know, it's okay that the state labels, you know, changes the definition of marriage <laughs> um, to something that it's never been understood. And, um, you know, with the state doing that, then I as the taxpayer now have to pay for the clerks in the county office to um, process marriage certificates you know, for, you know, Joe and Steve. Uh, and I just thought there, there's something wildly wrong here that in the church, there's nothing being taught uh, people how to actually deal with these issues in the public square. And, um, you know, people basically, uh, church, churches were ignoring these things and people in so many respects, we're like, okay, hey, you know what? My church life is one thing. I'm going to compartmentalize that, but I'm going to go ahead and vote for all of these politicians or, or initiatives that um, represent things that do not represent Christianity. And so 
I thought, God and government, this has got to be something that I do. I got to have a, a method by which to have a discussion about these things. Like, okay, what does the Bible actually say when it comes to the public square? And when I looked at church history, the great um, heroes of the Christian faith over the centuries engaged with the public in the public square and and with um, political leaders, and they they had very distinct opinions about these things. And it wasn't, you know, anathema, and they weren't worried about losing their five hundred one c three designation. And so that that's what the impetus was. Well, you know, it's like it's, it's since we since we actually have God in the title of our podcast, as yes. I see, I, I figured to rather do not have a non heathen moment, and basically it's like <laughs> I, want to, I want to tell some of scripture to you, and just to see sure. how see how you was like how you feel about this scripture in light of what we had just talked about being okay. in the public square. So Romans twelve one says, uh, "Here's what I want you to do." Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Mm -hmm. So, and go. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're talking about just the, the scripture there talks about us living our lives in designated and directed in a godly direction we're, we're, we're meant to to live as a, a spiritual being essentially across all domains of life so our spiritual spirituality is not confined only to church quite obviously it's not confined only to our home with our you know our families our spouses and so forth it actually should be influencing the way we conduct ourselves in the public square whether it's at work whether it's in the voting booth whether it's you know you know whatever civic engagement you know i find important that's really what it means it's not christianity and scripture is not supposed to be compartmentalized and the way i would interpret that is that you know if i'm going if i have the blessing of being able to, to to live in a place where I have the freedom to vote at minimum, then I'm simply not going to cast my vote for people and policies who openly reject the most fundamental morality of the faith that is supposed to govern my daily life. Yeah. There you go. So, the, so I want to read that. So I'll read that. I want to read that scripture again, folks. But I'm going to read it from the Good News trans, uh, translation. So. So then, my friends, because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer. Mm. Do not conform yourself to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind, which change yeah. of mind actually means, if I remember it, say it's the Greek, is like basically repent. Yeah, repent. Yes. It's like, then not, you'll be able to... Yeah, then you'll be able to know the will of God, what is good, and it's pleasing to him, and it's perfect. And you really got to ask yourself the question, when you start voting, when you start looking mm -hmm. at some of these, when you start looking at some of these legislation that's coming down the, down, down the road, you have to add, you have to take this, take that scripture, take that block, mm -hmm. and ask yourself, 
are you conforming to the standards of this world when you do this? Or are you looking at the will of God, what is good and what is pleasing to him and is perfect? And yeah. God hates sin. As, mm. much, as, as, much as, as much as you want, as much as we want to try to talk about our feelings and emotional in there, God hates sin. Yeah. Period. And, or or as or as our or as our former uh, governor would say, period. Full stop. <laughs> And, yes. and, we, and, we, and we really have to take we really have to take that into consideration because remember as I remember folks as we are trying to follow God we're trying to follow God's will that means that we are we are inside outsiders mm. we say like we exist within the sphere of this world that God has created yeah and we we work within the sphere of the government and we work in, in the sphere of you know like the politicians. But mm -hmm. we also work as ambassadors to Christ, mm -hmm. we, we, which, which means we have to look at we have to look at some of the things that are going on with these politicians and some of the things that they're passing down the line, and we have to add, we have to do you have to weigh it you have to put it on the scale mm -hmm. and ask yourself is would this be pleasing to God right. or is this pleasing to man? That's mm -hmm. very it's very very true, and what what you see. Um, Biblically and even in church history, you're going to if you it requires a bit of discernment um, because there, there wasn't you know this idea of the separation of church and state, which is you know misconstrued by and large in our popular culture. But that really has never existed, right? If you go back in, into the Bible, Moses when Moses went to Pharaoh, God called Moses to go to Pharaoh and and demand religious liberty first. <laughs> for the Hebrews and then, you know, to let them go. This, in my view, could be easily classified as an act of political uh, upheaval, right? It, it's a political matter. It's, it, you know, he's basically saying to Pharaoh, hey, you know what? All these people that you have enslaved that you're mistreating, they have a right to worship their God as they see fit. You need to let them go because God has told me to tell you to let them go. And you fast forward to the 20th century, the civil rights movement basically used the same argument. <laughs> and so you have men like Martin Luther King Jr. who are confronting the political authorities on a moral basis to say, this is not right to have a second tier of citizen who gets mistreated is simply not right. And so it's gone on throughout church history. And when you mentioned that, um, we, you know, it's really important for us to be, uh, you know, not conforming to the, the, the world. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful uh, phrase in that passage. And it's so important. And it, what, what it brought to mind, Mark, was 2008 in that election. And, you know, I'm sure you remember that. And most our listeners are going to remember because that was the year that Barack Obama won the presidency. Now, you know, incredibly historic moment to have an African-American person become the president of the United States. And, you know, what, what a testimony to our country that we're like the only Western country at all that has ever elected a black man to the highest office. It hasn't happened in England, France, Germany, Italy, nowhere, nowhere, right? Only the United States, despite our long history of uh, you know, slavery, segregation, racism, all of all of that stuff. But and so, you know, for me, I'm looking at that. I'm like, 
I would have liked to have voted for Barack Obama from that historical perspective. But there was a a moment that crystallized the whole thing for me from a from a moral perspective. It was when Rick Warren interviewed John McCain and Barack Obama in advance of the election. And he brought up the issue of abortion. And John McCain was, you know, sort of a traditional uh, Republican kind of response. And, and I think it's a more moral one. Basically, he was pro-life. He was against abortion. Whereas when Rick Warren asked Barack Obama about this, Barack Obama's answer was, that's above my pay grade. And so ah, I thought, gosh, that's a really lovely political answer, but it gives you a lot of insight into the man's faith or the man's, what his character. And I just could not bring myself to cast a vote for somebody who would cop out on a question so fundamental to, you know, my faith, you know, and your faith. I mean, because we know very clear Psalm 139 tells us that God formed us in the womb and he, you know he knew us be, before we were born so as a Christian I'm like no I can't support abortion in any fashion you know I, I I'm sympathetic to the plight of you know unwed mothers and so forth but that abortion is not the right response to it it's not moral and I simply cannot vote for a candidate as a Christian who would basically punt on the issue. And at the same time, I realized that many of my fellow churchgoers, people that you, you know as well, were <coughs> happily, you know, thrilled to cast their vote for Barack Obama, irrespective of his rejection of that Christian morality. Right, because at yeah. that point, at that point in time, the color of the individual mm -hmm. trumped the morals of his character. Right, and there, mm -hmm. and there, and therein lies the the grand the grandiose problem. You know, it's, yes. it's the fact that you have you have to sit back and you have to take you have to take hold of what Scripture says. Yes, and you have and you have to hold on to that. As a matter of fact, um, my pastor here in North Carolina. Uh, we, he just recently, as a as a thesis for the, for his for his doctorate, uh, for the past month or so, we had going we, had, we were going through the principles and a, and a philosophy that he had uh, that he looked through scripture about you know uh, nonviolence. Mm -hmm. You know, like the the Christian stand on nonviolence, and it got I I appreciated it from the fact of excuse me, it got in the weeds. It started mm -hmm. getting into the, the issue about you know, military service and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like uh, police officers and individuals who are put in situations in which um, it may, as a, it may come down to say a home invasion or a um, mm. burglary. And, and, and like the question would be as a Christian, would you, could you take a life of someone mm -hmm. who may, who may wish to do you harm? Yeah. Yeah, that's you a know, good question. And, yeah, and it's, and and it's, and to me, it's like, granted, you can look at you can look at scripture, you can look at. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's like one of the things. It's like um, if we look at James, what was it James three verses seventeen and eighteen? You know, mm -hmm. they talks about but the wisdom from above is pure first of all. It is also peaceful, gentle, and friendly. It is full of compassion and produces a harvest of good deeds. It's free from prejudice and hypocrisy, 
and goodness is the harvest that is produced from the seeds the peacemakers planted peace mm-hmm. and, and we and we know that jesus christ was the ultimate peacemaker so 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 now it's like now the question now the, and it, it was a good it was a great thought-provoking uh session that we did over the past mm-hmm. month or so because it poses that question of you know what in the home invasion it's like am i as am i safe is my family safe are they mm-hmm. here just for are they just here for the stuff okay yeah. it does it does you know hey take the stuff i have no problem with that because that can always be replaced sure you know and it's like and then of course trying to pose these what ifs and then and then then, then you start getting then you start getting further down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. and, and i had to sit back as like, a matter of fact i pull i posed a question um to my pastor but i thought i posed a question but if i if i didn't i will go back and do so where i was on the i was still living in california at the time i was taking mm-hmm. the uh, blue line down to santa mm-hmm. monica yeah and there was a there was a gentleman on the bus who was talking to two girls who weren't exactly receptive to his conversation and a and a gentleman hispanic gentleman next to me uh, basically told the gentleman who was black uh say mm-hmm. kind of in no certain terms that like, it tried she tried to be a peacemaker i was like hey man they're really not into you maybe you want to kind of maybe mm. change your hunting field to a different location yeah uh, to which he took that rejection as or took that statement as an insult to his either his conversation, his rapability, his manhood, you know, you feel fill mm-hmm. in the blank. So that that started to quickly escalate back and forth. Uh, the girls involved are, are trying to trying to uh, bring everything back down. I'm sitting less than three feet, no, actually two feet away from the gentleman who, and I look into his briefcase, and he has a pistol. All right, and now and now now he's starting to get aggressive, to to the yeah. fact where it's like you 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 start looking at him and you start hearing okay, uh, this guy because he feels like his manhood has been questioned with words, not with mm-hmm. actions, didn't get slapped, didn't get hit, didn't get touched, is willing to reach into his bag and pull out his gun and start going and start going wild west style. Wow. So this, so then so now my question becomes, or now my question became, in a situation like that, I don't think there is a peacemaking option here. Mm-hmm. You can attempt it, but I but I don't, but I don't think it's got I think at that point it's crossed the Rubicon. So now I'm asking yeah. myself, okay, I've got my keys in my hand. It wouldn't take me too much effort to basically, you know, put put a spike with the keys in my in my fist and sure. clock this guy before he before he draws. And and then hopefully we say like people can subdue him before more damage is done, but mm. then that sort of crosses the idea about, well, did I did I go to a peacemaking profile or did I go to an aggressive uh, profile? But then my question would have been, my question still is, there are some scenarios where you can't, you know, these yeah. people are peaceful, they're not willing to listen to peaceful arguments and it's yes. like a question. Sometimes you just got to put a dog down. Well, that's true. I mean, you look at Luke 22. I think Luke chapter 22 disabuses the notion. Any Anyone who disabuses the notion that Jesus was some sort of uh, pacifist because he basically said to the disciples there, 
you guys go get some swords. <laughs> go get. Why in the world would a pacifist tell the disciples to get swords? The military grade weapon in those days. And the reason is he wanted them to defend themselves. Right. Jesus is God. And we know that God, you know, from the Old Testament, there's plenty of times when God was wrathful, when there's plenty of times when God intervened in human history uh, and acted in what we would call as violence. Right. Well, Jesus is God. So while he walked in the flesh on earth, he wasn't uh, comporting himself as the, you know, the God that wiped out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. He didn't he, he, he was in his form as the lamb. But that doesn't mean that the lion part of God doesn't exist. So I, I think, you know, morally, morally speaking, yes, there, there are times when uh, the Bible would support us in, you know, engaging in those, you know, kind of defensive, certainly defensive, protective acts. And that actually circles us to a place that's related to God and government as a concept, because Romans, you know, you read from Romans 12, you go to Romans 13, and that to me is the, that's the crux of the matter, because Romans 13, 1 through 7, describes the proper function of government, what human government is supposed to do. And in short, that, that piece of uh, scripture, and it's similar in 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17, essentially, the New Testament describes the function of government as being protecting, you know, the um, people from harm, basically punishing evildoers is one one element and promoting good. That's basically what it is. And, and that has gotten lost in so much of our teaching. So um, if we as Christians look at government as having those limited functions, right, and their biblical functions, we got to fight evil and protect good. If we have politicians who want to increase taxes, right, basically legalized theft in order to funnel that money to some weird cause, you know, funding an unending, uh, you know, goalless war in Ukraine or taking your tax dollars and sending 500 million of it to uh, Planned Parenthood to basically uh, annihilate um, minority babies in the womb or whatever, you know, other cockamamie thing they're doing. I would say that the Bible speaks against those activities and that Christians themselves ought to be standing up at minimum if they have an opportunity to vote or to express their views, say, no, I'm not going to support that. And I'm not going to support the politicians that want that kind of stuff. And that doesn't mean, you know, Democrat or Republican, whoever it is, if you are for those kinds of things, that is unbiblical, and I'm not going to support that. But tragically, way too many Christians, way too many churches, and I'm afraid to say way too many pastors, take cop-out views or pacifistic views or, you know, you know overly... Um, liberal views in, in, in the sense of like, oh, do not judge and I won't judge anything and, and you know, everything will be groovy, sort of a, a, a universalist way of looking at things. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, that's that's not right. And that's, you know, God, God and government is here for us to have these hard discussions, but to respectfully say, you know what, there are boundaries. 
um, that God wants us to live our personal lives righteously, and he wants us to be in the public square and call our leaders, our politicians, to do the right thing morally. Exactly, because when you say like when you read that when you read that scripture, John, and you see it's like it's written from the idea of because like for the government is ordained by God to yes. do to do good. Yes. It's like you know to to like to do um you know it's like or whoever opposes the existing authority opposes what God has ordered. Now, mm-hmm. if the authority opposes what God has ordered, then yes, it is your biblical duty to basically That's resist. Correct resist that government and that authority because they are not doing what God has ordained. That's correct. They've been delegated. It's interesting. The word there is exousia in Greek, which means jurisdiction, right? So if human governments exceed their jurisdiction of of basically uh, punishing evil and promoting good, if they exceed that, well, now they're outside the boundaries of God's design for them. And therefore the Christian, actually no one has excuse me, a duty or an obligation to follow them. And I liken this too to Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, which talk, is Ephesians 5, that talks about um, marriage uh, responsibilities, husbands to wives. You know, there's there's uh, an admonition for women, which is often uh, misused. Um, It says, you know, know, wives submit to your husbands as, you know, you know, the church submits, uh, to Christ, right? And so, you know, there are people who will condemn Christianity and say that it's sexist or whatnot be- because of that verse and th- similar things. But the, the point that Paul is making there is that biblical submission for wives is nothing more than the idea um, established in the garden that there's male and female and that we're complementary and that we have roles. And that the husband has the responsibility to man up, right? He has to man up, be responsible for his family, care of his family. And in order to do that effectively, God says, wives, just let him be the husband, let him be the father. And he's essentially the quarterback, right? Yeah. Exactly. On that point, and this important point, what you basically brought up, John, is, is the idea that it does not say that the woman is to be a doormat. Correct. And there's tons of books on that. It's like it, you're to be you're to be a helpmate. You 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 were right. to, it's like sounding board. It's like every every Correct. great every great person needs like needs an idea person, like someone to sit back and go, hey, you know what? It's like I, that's uh-huh. that gives like can we think about that? Maybe yeah. we should try this from a different direction. Right. You know, it's like at the end, when you when you sign a check, do both parties sign the check? No. No. One person no. signs the check. Right. Well, I was. Yeah, exactly. That's that's it's it's about orderliness and it's analogous to the idea of submission to government. So, you know, the point of Ephesians five wives submit to your husbands is that as a wife, if your husband is doing the right thing, then it's proper for you to submit. But there's no requirement if he's abusive, if he's lazy, if he's a drunk, right, if he's a philanderer. You know, the wife has no moral obligation whatsoever to follow that. And in the same way, you just transplant that over to the state or the government. If the government is philandering and the government is wasteful and the government is foolish and irresponsible and not doing what God has charged us to do, then we really have no moral responsibility 
to follow. Now, we might want to avoid the penalties <laughs> that they try to impose upon us. That's different. But we're not morally obligated to follow that. And in fact, we should do whatever we can to try to admonish them into doing <coughs> the right thing. And you can go even farther into the church <coughs> environment. So much church environment is corrupted because of pastors who abuse their their power from the pulpit, right? Bless you. So the, 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 the pastors, you know, the, the Bible, Hebrews 13 basically teaches us, you know, hey, we should obey, quote unquote, obey our leaders and make their work a joy. Well, yes. But if some pastor is teaching nonsense, if some pastor is, uh, you know, turning a blind eye to uh, biblical morality, then I don't have to follow him at all. And I certainly don't have to give my tithe money to pay his wage. That's, exactly. really, that's really what it is. So all those things sort of coalesce in the same philosophical concept. And thus, here we are with God and government. And I'm hoping that, you know, the reach that you and I have with this will actually influence people to think like this in their marriages, in their church life, and in their, you know, the public square. And as I see here, as we're trying to bring this plane in for a landing, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, I hope that people have had an opportunity to like do some of the uh, answers that John has provided, get, get a little uh, deeper glimpse into the, into the thought process. And, uh, you know, this, this won't be the first opportunity that we have a, a chance to have a, have a sandwich and, uh, and a chat <laughs> with John. Yes. And, you know, and of course, it's like uh, as he said earlier, it's like we're we're looking forward to uh, we're looking forward to having a great rest of uh, 2023 and mm -hmm. going into going into 2024. It's like we're not going anywhere, folks. It's like we're I think as a matter of fact, considering the chaos that is going on in the world and uh, and in our nation right now, we need God and government even more. So it's like so we're not we're not going anywhere. We're going to have an opportunity to hopefully bring some more uh, great hosts on. And uh, to have some great uh, thought-provoking questions, and uh, and hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to uh, you, the listener, uh, be able to say like, get some feedback from you guys as well. And uh, I know it's like amazing as this may seem, it's like we actually do have the capability of getting get some questions from you guys and some feedback, and we, we don't operate in a vacuum. It's like we <laughs> do we do we do appreciate we do appreciate your questions. We do appreciate your uh, some of the like some of the questions that you guys pose, and I'd love to be able to sit back and say we're going to answer each and every question that you have. <laughs> I would be lying to you, but I would do say we do acknowledge them, and we do want to get to the point where we are starting to get more get more feedback and start even speaking to them on on the radio on air and going, yes. hey John from a uh, John from as like us as like Oshkosh in Wisconsin says. <laughs> Dear God and government, and doing things along those lines. So, like, so yes. we are expanding. We are trying to, uh, as I like move further into the public sphere, and uh, eventually, prayerfully, we'll get enough people here that we can actually start getting some sponsorship. You know, Absolutely. it's like uh, you know, God and government sponsored by Meineke. <laughs> <laughs> you just gave them some free advertising right now. Absolutely, yes. People can email us at God and Government Podcast at Gmail. Dot com, or you can send us a, a messenger on Facebook. It's facebook.com backslash God and government. So, yeah, we uh, now that I've gotten um, to a new geographical place and getting settled down, we'll be able to get back in the saddle more regularly here. And I, I really want to do that, uh, Mark, because these conversations, I think, are really, really crucial. 
Uh, I think this kind of content is absolutely necessary. I was telling somebody recently that I, I just don't see any any way out of the uh, kind of political morass that we're facing in our society unless there's like a third great awakening. I really, I really believe that unless God does something and the people respond to it in this country and really in in Western Europe and you know the free world, uh, unless back to God. I'm afraid we might find ourselves in a rather bad place. And, and you just have to look back to the Old Testament and look at God's people in uh, Israel and Judah and see what happened to them when they refused to to receive an awakening from God. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to close on a sad note, but I think that's the reality. And I think you'd agree with me on that. Yeah, I'd have to, uh, John. It's like, you know, Sodom, Gomorrah. It's like yep. basically God, God, has, God has some very clear repercussions and consequences when we decide that we no longer want to follow him, but we, we want to follow, you know, whatever it's like, whatever humanistic viewpoints or idea or ideologues that we want to go ahead and assign there. And worse to wrap that idea in the idea and the concept of God, you know, yeah. as, as you have, if you have some people that you have the pagans, basically, well, God's a she and God's, mm. God, God, God's a pronoun and you, and you just sit back and go, folks, God will not be mocked, period. <laughs> it's like, period. Take, Full stop take, right there. Yeah, exactly. Take the opportunity to think about that. And once again, um, be active, vote, don't hold back, don't be afraid. Remember, God has our back on this. God does have our back. And God... Uh... He's, uh, he's watching. I do believe he's watching, and he is sort of his eyes continue to roam throughout the earth to see who has courage, and uh, you know whatever we can do in our small way to uh, embolden people to do the right thing. It's wonderful. So thank you for uh, making me the subject of <laughs> this episode. I uh, really appreciate all of our listeners out there. Remember, you can find us on Anchor.fm uh, backslash God and Government, also on Spotify and Google, uh, Google Podcasts. And until next time, uh, we wish you all the blessed, um, all the best and many blessings. Bye-bye. Yep and, yep, and for God of Government, this is your host, Mark Richardson, saying peace. <laughs>